<laughs> I'm Callie. Um, I'm 21. I recently graduated college. And I guess I'm here because <laughs> I'm interesting. <laughs> I don't know. Remains to be seen. <laughs> this is Callie Pierce. Callie just graduated with her degree in linguistics and Mandarin Chinese from the University of Colorado Boulder. She's a queer person of color, an amateur drag king, and a lover of language. We had some really in-depth conversations about language as a whole and language in the LGBTQ community. We spoke a lot about the drag world and Callie exploring her identity both in the US and in China. There was a lot to unpack. So, Callie's story will be broken into two parts. In this episode, she'll talk about how she felt othered in college, how that led to her exploring drag culture, what drag means to her, and how all of this and almost everything leads back to language and her affinity for it. I'm Leah. This is the Chingona Podcast, a podcast about women and queers and non-binaries who inspire with their heart and their hustle. I met Callie through her sister Ruby, who was featured in an episode last season called Ruby Things. Like her sister, Callie is black, white, and Native American. She's a Denver native, but she went to college in Boulder, which is about 45 minutes north of Denver, give or take. The town is pressed up against the mountains, which allows for some really gorgeous views, got some really picturesque scenery. And being that Boulder is home to one of the major in-state universities, there's no shortage of bars and fun hangouts. It's kind of a college town. And while that may be a welcoming environment to most 20-somethings, Callie was more than happy to leave. It is the epicenter of where white culture is produced. (laughs) They're produced, exercised, (laughs) vanilla ice. Yeah. And I also lived in the worst neighborhood of Boulder, which is the hill. Right. Um, So it's right next to campus, and I just happened to get a good deal on a room there. And rent is super high everywhere in Boulder, and that was, like, somewhat affordable for Boulder. Um, And, yeah, so, like, my block was, like, frat houses and sororities. Um, So it was just kind of, like, Greek life, a lot of white people, not my scene. (laughs) Um, It was pretty uncomfortable. And I noticed, like, when I was walking home from work, because I have a job, and a lot of those kids don't have to work. They're super rich. (laughs) Um, So another way I couldn't, which I couldn't relate to them. Um, But I, like, noticed, like, if there was a lot of people out, like, at parties or, like, you know, playing ping pong shirtless, like, on their lawns, which is, yeah, that's what they do. Um, (laughs) I just felt so conspicuously, like, queer and, like, of color. And it was weird because I hadn't experienced that really in Denver. Um, Because it's like, I'm just used to everybody looking different and being different. It's like a big city. Um, But yeah, in Boulder, it's just so uniform that like, I felt like I really stuck out, even if I didn't necessarily know other people. It just really felt that way. (laughs) It was hard. (laughs) It was not somewhere I wanted to be and I felt like I didn't belong. Um, and I had a lot of experiences that confirmed that I didn't belong either. Um, and I feel like that's a great point to make because between like the Springs, Denver, Boulder, I feel like it's 
known that like the Springs is very conservative and mm-hmm. Denver's kind of in the middle and Boulder's like very liberal progressive but you can be liberal progressive and still like n- like not be inclusive yeah be very like exclusive as a group yeah which is a thing mm-hmm. that I feel like people in Boulder are not aware that they like yes they're liberal and progressive and it's just like you can still not realize you're exercising your white privilege mm-hmm. yeah and you're like class privilege yeah. yeah i think i think boulder tries to portray itself as a more international place than it is mm-hmm. or a more diverse place than it is um because the campus they have some like kind of i don't know sort of fake bragging rights about how diverse the campus is because it's not diverse <laughs> it is not but they can say that a big portion of the student body is of color because they have a ton of chinese students mm. um who absolutely have like of color experiences and experience microaggressions, discrimination, and things like that. Um, but a lot of the time, Chinese people are kind of honorary whites, <clears throat> and so they sort of get treated. This is not like a blanket statement by any means, but there is a lot of like um, assumption that they're smart or that they deserve to be there or that like um, you know they've worked super hard and they deserve as much as other white people do. Mm-hmm. Whereas other other like darker skinned people of color or like just different kinds of people of color, there's a lot more like, I need to prove something, or there's fewer of us, so I need to really represent. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's like a huge Chinese population, and they're pretty insular, and so they kind of all stick, uh, make clicks <laughs> in each of their like departments and are sort of like all together. Um, so they have like support systems too, and they do experience, I'm sure, like negative things. Um, and uh, like CU likes to say that like, we're diverse, we have this like massive like Asian and Chinese population um but it's like they're not really integrated on campus um and then also like (laughs) they are coming from foreign countries they're not chinese american or anything like that and they're coming here because they can afford it and it's valued in their country to like get a degree you know in america um and so they're sort of being pushed as this like diversity Mm. example and it's just like it's not they're not really part of the campus culture which I saw a lot as majoring in Chinese and trying to, like, find Chinese people to talk to. Um, And it's just really, like, unfortunate (laughs) because the administration keeps being like, look how diverse, but it's just, like, we're all so fractured. And then, like, I think a lot of people of color um, and the Chinese foreign exchange students, like, too, also feel like they're not having, they're not really part of the campus, not really part of, like, Mm -hmm. C. Boulder's life sort of thing. And then that's misleading to like people of color who are looking at colleges yeah where very misleading yeah this is karen she helped out with one of callie's interviews you know you expect to see a more diverse campus and actually Mm -hmm. it's these it's a lot of chinese students who have banded together because they're in a foreign country right yeah yeah and so it's like Mm-hmm. The, those are the two options it's like yeah. <laughs> white culture or you could yeah. try to like break into this Chinese culture role they're all sharing a very similar experience Yeah. Callie said she briefly tried to moonwalk her way into the Chinese community at CU Boulder she felt like she wasn't being challenged in the classroom so Callie sought out language partners she would put up flyers around campus stating that she was trying to learn Mandarin and she wanted to practice speaking with another human and I got a few responses, and it was, like, a good experience. Um, and it was also, like, really surprising to them, I could tell, because, like, not a lot of Americans are learning Chinese. Yeah. And also, I think um, they 
are surprised that anybody's interested in their culture or where they come from. Um, and yeah, like I could tell it was flattering, but also surprising <laughs> for a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made me like really feel that like divide between like the Chinese kids who go to see you versus like everyone else at see you. Mm-hmm. And if you're part of that, everyone else, that means white, you need to like conform to that. Um, yeah, I found myself very much like acting whiter, talking whiter, really altering my language, my dress and like all those things. Um, and it started to really wear me down after a while. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was like a way to actually, it was oddly comforting to be around Chinese students because they also felt othered. Um, and we could sort of connect on those things in ways that I hadn't really anticipated. Um, but it was really like important experience to have. It's what made me feel a little more like I'm actually doing something useful at CU. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you feeling so othered at um, CU, did it sort of lead to you kind of seeking out the queer and drag king culture in Boulder? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah? And, yeah, I've said, like, lots of times to my family and friends, like, at CU, the, like, queer scene and the, like, campus, like, um, LGBTQ community was, like, the one place where I felt like I could actually relax. And, like, there was still a lot of, like, white energy there Mm -hmm. but it was people who had also like experienced discrimination and microaggressions and who were a lot more like woke to that Mm -hmm. um and so uh a lot of like white people in the queer community who were really willing to like actually have discussions about things like that um and knew that like intersectionality is really important in like um their identities and their community um and that was like yeah the first place that i was like yeah, I felt like a weight was off my shoulders. I was like, yeah. I feel like I can relax around people uh, here. So yeah, that was definitely a big part of why I kind of like turned to them. But, yeah. And so how did you get into the drag king scene? What did I get into? <laughs> So I'm going to take a moment to very, very briefly explain drag, but I highly suggest watching the documentary Paris is Burning for more in-depth understanding and history lesson. In the most basic and binary manner of speaking, drag is performance art in which people dress up as exaggerated stereotypes of men and women. The drag community is known for fashion and artistry. Drag kings and queens have to know how to dance, how to put on a good performance. Comedy is also a huge part of the culture. And the reality show slash competition, RuPaul's Drag Race, has skyrocketed drag into mainstream popularity. But I think it's safe to say that drag queenery is more popular than drag kingery, which is what Callie is trying to break into. She got her start on stage at the CU Boulder drag show that the Gender and Sexuality Center hosted. And so then, yeah, I just, like, uh, registered for it and performed, and it was just, like, the best time I'd ever had doing anything. Like, it was just, like, the most, like, fulfilling, like, fun experience. And I made so much money in tips! (laughs) That was the, like, biggest thing. I made $42 for, like, three-minute song. Nice. It was also Boulder. But (laughs) someone gave me a $20 bill, um, which might have been an accident, but I kept it. Um, And so, like, yeah, I just, I remember it so well because it was just one of those times where it felt really right. Like, 
Um, I love performing. I love the like crowd energy. Um, and I love being this cheesy character, like just like some sort of gross man, just like <laughs> tiny and weird, but he's just like somehow got this like magnetic, like sexual energy or he thinks he does. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I just think that's so hilarious. And like, I just use that to like at my advantage. And like, I love like making eye contact with the audience, like being really dramatic. And it's just a lot of fun. Like, it, it's like such a rush. Like, I just really enjoy it. Um, yeah. What's your drag name? My drag name is Romeo Face. That's right. <laughs> so it's Romeo and O Face. Yeah. So I put the Romeo in uh, romance and I put the O Face in you know what. <laughs> I have so many questions. <laughs> I'm fascinated with like the whole drag getting ready process. Mm-hmm. Um, like, cause it's an art. Like I've been watching, you know, those world of wonder YouTube videos about mm-hmm. like a drag queen's makeup regimen. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's a literal art to turn your male face into a female face and not yeah. just any female face, but like your female face. Mm-hmm. And so like, what does that process look like for you turning into Romeo face <laughs> from Cali to Romeo face? <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, I'd say in some ways it can be slightly less effort for women, at least in terms of the, like, uh, parts situation. Right. Because drag queens a lot of the time have to tuck things and that Mm -hmm. really is uncomfortable. Right. (laughs) But you can just have, like, a sock dick or something that, like, you know, and you can just put that in your pants and if you place it correctly it can kind of look like a penis. Okay. Um, so that's sort of what I use. Um, and... I just can buy a lot more, like, androgynous and, like, comfortable clothes. Like, Mm -hmm. um, I wear a lot of, like, sports bras, so my boobs are flat. That's another thing. I don't have to deal with, like, packing down my boobs because my boobs are already pretty small. So, um, I usually just wear a sports bra. Um, and I just wear, like, men's fit and men's cut stuff. Um, and it's pretty comfortable and easy to dance in because I prioritize it being easy to dance in. Right. Um, but for me, it's really comfortable because men's clothes are just like higher quality and more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in terms of like makeup, yeah, mm-hmm. like I'm still very much like learning. <laughs> um, but I've experimented with some things and like uh, a lot of it is like the base stuff is kind of similar. It's just like with, I think the essential difference is like drag kings exaggerate features like they tend to exaggerate like um well drag queens do this too i guess but um they exaggerate like their foreheads their noses and they make things look bigger right um whereas drag queens are trying to like usually kind of slim things down and make it smaller contour the edges so that you have a more like round female face Mm -hmm. and it's like smaller yeah um but yeah for like drag kings it's kind of like you can get by with doing sort of less Mm -hmm. um too because i think the expectations of masculinity are a lot more flexible actually than they are for femininity Mm -hmm. um i think a lot of drag queens feel the pressure to like be really feminine or like at least that's a part of drag that you can do whereas drag kings like it really runs a huge gamut and like if you kind of look like just a woman in a suit (laughs) like i think people are still like that's a drag king and they you know they're into that and I, i don't know if it's always you know kind of received the same way if you're a drag queen who's not as like feminine doesn't wear as much makeup I think a lot of people can be judgmental about that yeah um and I think that's kind of like one of the major differences too like culturally 
Um, but yeah, in terms of prep, just like, I don't do a ton. It probably takes me like 30 minutes. Oh, wow. Just like do all my makeup. And I, yeah, I usually draw on like a fake beard. Um, I take my like eyeliner or something like that and just like do little stubbles or things like that. <laughs> um, yeah, I also want to get like a real like synthetic hair beard. Ooh. So it's like an actual <laughs> beard. <laughs> um, so that's kind of like the things that I've been looking at for that. But yeah, it doesn't take that long to like for me to get prepped at least. But. Callie is looking for a drag king troupe to take her under their wing and a place to regularly perform. Because even though she practices drag on her own, She's really only performed twice at the CU Boulder drag shows since 2017. Unless you count the time when she was in fifth grade and she played Mercutio on a production of Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, I think that was kind of the seeds of like, <laughs> I like being a man. Yeah. Um, so, because <laughs> um, it's just like, it brings out something totally different that you like have. Everything, everybody has this in their personality. Like, that's why I'm so for like everybody trying dressing up as the opposite gender yeah. or a different gender um, because like it can be so interesting because you feel really different and you can just like kind of explore that um, and yeah I just realized that I really enjoy masculinity and I like bringing out masculine parts of myself um, and why not like emphasize that <laughs> like perform it I think it's just really really fun yeah yeah is drag culture hard to break into um I don't think drag king culture is hard to break into. Maybe drag queen culture. Um, I think because of the, because of RuPaul's Drag Race and that, that visibility, there's a lot more drag queens, or at least they're becoming more visible. Mm -hmm. And so the competition has gotten a lot more intense. Um, and I think always, kind of, there's always been this historical element of like, a lot of drag queen culture is rooted in like, performing femininity and it was about being feminine mm -hmm. um, in a very exaggerated way um, and that's not to say that there's aren't different kinds of like drag queens and stuff but um, for drag kings it's always been very flexible I think since the beginning mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of like one of the major differences and so like people are a lot more like um, ex exploration minded in a sense with um, drag kings and so like people are more accepting to like trying new ideas and like people who are just purely androgynous like a corset and a beard or like and that can be a drag something but it's not drag king or queen you know mm -hmm. um whereas i think a lot of drag queen cultures can be very limited and they and uh they can just be really focused on like you have to look like a woman or you have to be very very feminine and have to have nails blah blah, blah. um i think that's changing and there's more different kinds of drag queens on the scene but mm -hmm. With drag kings, it's always been that way. There's no question. Like, you don't have to have a beard and be, like, very masculine. Because if you think about it, men have always been everything. <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, default. And, yeah, they've been the default person. And so it's kind of like the range of it was already so huge. Um, whereas for women, it was kind of like if you're not this kind of hyper-feminine thing, then it's mm -hmm. like you're not really a woman. Um, and so I think drag queens, the mentality was coming from that from that limited scope already that we had as a culture. Um, whereas, yeah, for men, it's like, you could be all kinds of different things in the world. So there was never like a standard, this is what a man would look like, you mm -hmm. know? So yeah, that's just my take on it. Yeah. And so I know, at least in drag queen culture, mm -hmm. like we're talking a lot about RuPaul's Drag Race and I'm watching the all-star season right now. And it's like, 
there's the second trans queen mm-hmm. on RuPaul's Drag Race, and she's, uh, or at least in the producer, her producer narrative that has been assigned to her, she's kind of like struggling with, like, is like I'm a good drag queen, but I'm also a trans uh, woman, mm-hmm. and so like, is it insulting to me to be seen? as like a man performing as a woman when I'm actually just trying to be a woman like all yeah. the stuff so like how I mean is there a way to explain how like your queerness mm-hmm. um, plays into drag kingery mm-hmm. or I mean and if there's not that's okay like <laughs> yeah. I don't want to just be like explain queer to me <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean I think like yeah, it's it's a strange thing because it's still very much a topic of like discussion, sometimes contentious discussion, like in the queer community about what drag really is. Um, living in a you know post-binary mentality, many of us are at least, um, and and also the people who do kind of drag where it's not really clearly king or queen, um, and then people who are trans who started out or maybe discovered their identity through drag um and I mean I can't really speak on behalf of these trans women of course I'm not a trans woman but um I would imagine that like what I've heard from like Gia Gunn she's another trans woman who is a drag queen um like you you can be something completely separate from drag so like drag is something that you do it's not necessarily like who you are Mm -hmm. um and so it's like she is a, a woman she's a trans woman and like uh, being a drag queen was something that she like just does <laughs> it's kind of like her um I guess like her career she has like a personality as that person mm-hmm. um but it's not who she is she's not a caricature of a woman she is a woman mm-hmm. um and so and I've, I've kind of heard similar things from like drag kings who are also trans men like in normal life um and it's kind of a strange interaction because like if we have the definition I think it just depends on the definition like if the definition of drag is, like, dressing up as, let's say, in the most simplest way, like, the opposite gender, mm-hmm. um, then, like, it's, pr- it's really, really limited. Um, and it doesn't explain people who are trans women and they're drag queens or trans men and they're drag kings, and right. that's how they d- identify. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, like, a more expansive definition of drag is what's going to be the answer to, like, that conundrum or explaining that to people who don't understand queerness or, like, gender identity and things like that. Um, And I would posit that, like, just saying drag is dressing up as, like, an alter ego or, like, bringing out some part of yourself that you're not normally. Right. um, And performing it and kind of doing these, like, sort of uh, typical, like, drag activities, (laughs) like doing makeup and getting all ready and, like, performing and lip-syncing and all of that. I think that's kind of more at the heart of what drag is, um, and it's less something less about like which gender or what gender are you dressing up as or what are you in normal life. Right. Um, so I mean, it's just like a complicated thing. It's really different for everyone. Yeah, I mean, it's like, well, performers have alter egos. Like Beyonce mm-hmm. is essentially in that definition. Like in drag is Sasha, Sasha Fierce, which. Mm-hmm that like makes a lot of sense to me that yeah I love I like that definition that drag is performing as an alter ego yeah um 
that's I think so much of the appeal for drag um, for anyone to do drag but especially those already in the queer community who are pushing those boundaries or those societal like expectations of what a man is or what being gay means or things like that um, and like drag is definitely it's very very subversive I mean that's why it's like and it's so empowering at the same time um, and that's why so many people should do it and <laughs> so many people already do um, and yeah like I just feel like that's really one of those steps that we start taking towards deconstructing all of this stuff um, with binary gender binaries because like when you think about it like drag is the ultimate like usurpation of that like it's just so like uh, with like making let's say a drag queen like a typical drag queen I guess which is not really you know a thing but like taking what a woman is or what size what society says a woman is and exaggerating it to a like cartoonish level mm-hmm. and being very like entertaining with it and like humorous usually like that's an ultimate way to say like look how ridiculous this is mm-hmm. <laughs> this is what we ask of real human beings yeah. you know mm-hmm. um and really it's just a performance it's saying what it really is like right. it's like coming for hyperfemininity at its heart um and i feel the same way about like drag kings on the other side it's like look how ridiculous <laughs> like it is it is to be like a very masculine man like yeah. if you're doing something that's really stereotypical like that um yeah, and I just, I love that, that like, <laughs> like, look how well I can be a man, even if I'm not born with, like, the parts that we've assigned to men. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, like, it's just funny. Like, yeah. it's really funny and subversive and just very, like, in your face, like, this is stupid and you know it. Yeah. <laughs> like, people don't really do sad drag. Like, drag is about, like, sharing joy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely, like... There's a lot of joy there, um, but there's also, I mean, a lot of people who drag is how they got out of their, like, the prison of either their sexuality or their their uh, true gender or things like that, um, and it's a way to actually, could be a way to, like, express it. Um, I'd imagine with some people who find out that they're trans through drag or, like, always knew and then just started doing drag to, like, make it seem more legitimate or more palatable to other people, mm-hmm. um, like... I would imagine that it feels like I'm doing something that's so much more natural to me as a person and I'm just like performing it like to whatever level I feel comfortable with. Um, and so there's a lot of like serious stories in there. Um, and I think behind drag is really a very serious message about, um, how we think about gender and how we force people into these very rigid uh, boxes of how you perform gender. Um, and because it's all a performance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as much fun as it is, and as much as a, like, a riot it is, um, it also has, like, a real, you know, like, I think deep me- message about, yeah, about our society, about how we think about that. Yeah. So are you non-gender conforming or non-binary? Mm. <laughs> if you're well, not, I don't. <laughs> no, no, no. It's fine. I just, I just know. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, I think about it a lot. Um, I think a while ago I sort of reached this, like, sort of conclusion that I'm like, I'm a woman for the convenience of other people, is kind of how I feel. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, I know that how the structure of gender in our society and our culture is real, (laughs) and that's how it is for a lot of people. Um, and so I'm like, I'm going to be called a woman even if I didn't identify as one. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just kind of like... 
in a way it feels sort of lazy because I'm like backing away from like truly being non-binary and like really like adopting that struggle. Um, but at the same time, I don't feel like that's completely me because I do feel like a woman. I mean, I was raised as a girl <laughs> and I feel comfortable presenting as a woman. Um, I like exploring the parts of my like traditionally feminine like personality traits and things like that. Um, and so it's kind of like a weird, like, I don't really even approach it even within myself because it's like, mm -hmm. I don't really know the answer to that. Um, I just know that like, I enjoy performing masculinity. I have parts of my personality that I feel like are kind of butch or like um, more like obviously or stereotypically like a lesbian. Mm -hmm. um, and that I feel comfortable being that way. Um, but I mean, it's just really like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, maybe I'll someday I'll arrive at like a, an answer or a definition that feels comfortable. But I mean, I'm not uncomfortable saying that I'm a woman. I'm pretty comfortable in that. Um, I think actually I'm kind of uncomfortable saying I'm a man, so I feel more comfortable being like, I'm a woman for all intents and purposes, <laughs> and um, non-binary in a lot of other ways in my life, um, and I think of non-binary too as kind of like a, a choice in how you choose to think about human beings, if <laughs> you choose to see them as human beings first, right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean the ultimate answer to that is just, I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. I think it's okay to not know, too. I feel like right now, there's a lot of pressure put on, like, labeling yourself. And, like, mm -hmm. that's fine because I understand that, like, you... Some people really want that label because they want to be a part of a mm -hmm. particular community, which mm -hmm. I completely understand. But it's also okay to just, like, not know, and it's okay to be okay with not knowing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I, I feel you there. Yeah. I, I interviewed, um, I did a story about asexual people um, when I was at the Longmont paper, and one of the, the most striking things that someone said to me, um, she was like, you know, the, the straight culture is really the people focused on labels, and, mm -hmm. and the thing about LGD, LGBTQ culture is that, you know, labels are a tool you can try them on and discard them and try on another one mm -hmm. and like your straight friends make it like frustrated with you it's just like so what it and she was just they were just saying to me she's like but just it's for you so like if a label feels comfortable use it and if it doesn't you don't have to like yeah I don't mm -hmm. know. I, I thought that was a... She, like, broke through in my straight mind. Like, oh, mm -hmm. they're a tool. You can try them on or not. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, so what pronouns do you use? Do you use I did, she, her? Yeah, I okay. use she, her, hers. I'm okay. also fine with they, them, theirs. Okay. Um, and when I'm in drag, I prefer he, him, his, usually. Yeah. But I also don't really care. Um, for me, pronouns are not that important. Um but I totally respect when they are important to other people and other members right. of the queer community because it really matters for a lot of people. Um, and that's completely fair. I just personally, I'm like, I don't really care. Yeah. Yeah. As long as it's not it. That's a great point, though. Cause, so one of my favorite comedians, Rhea Butcher, she... <gasps> I love her. <laughs> yeah. 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 She Huge recently <laughs> came out as like non-gender conforming. And, like, a few months ago, she, like, made a statement on her social media saying that she, they, mm -hmm. would like to be addressed as they and them. And then mm -hmm. it became this big deal where some people 
who would forget, like I just did right now, um, would call them by female pronouns. Mm -hmm. And there were other people that were attacking those people. And then she finally came out and said, like, you know, if as long as there's no malice behind whatever you're calling me, it's fine. It's when you say something with like disdain or disgust mm-hmm. and how the way you say the pronoun is what matters. Yeah. And so I feel like that kind of plays into like you don't care mm-hmm. how people address you as long as they don't call you it and yeah. they're not being a complete asshole. Yeah. Yeah. And like it's the kind of thing where it's like if you make a mistake, you make a mistake and like what you do for that is you apologize and you don't make the same mistake. Yeah. <laughs> you stop doing that. <laughs> And it has to do with comfort, too. Like, and exposure, and, like, how often you do it. Mm-hmm. Right. And, like, if you're not around trans people a lot, you might make a lot of mistakes. Right. You know? Um, and then, like, the same, totally the same thing with non-binary people. I think I never met one until college. And I was not familiar with using they as a singular pronoun. Mm-hmm. And so I was, like, really, like, I felt very forced every time I did it because I was, like, I'm not used to this referring to one person. Mm-hmm. Um but then I just did a lot because I met a lot of non binary <laughs> people and I was like, this isn't weird. <laughs> yeah, like, like, language just changes and, like, mm-hmm. you get comfortable with whatever you use. Um, and, yeah, it's really just, like, people get, like, all in a tizzy about people who have identities that are outside the, like, cisgendered woman and cisgendered man. Right. Um, it's just, like, what, what are you so afraid of? Like, what's your problem? Like, we're, we're not freaking out. <laughs> like, we're only freaking out if you're being violent or like scaring us or like doing things that are like stripping us of our rights or things like that but literally just us existing is not a threat to you mm-hmm. yeah, like it's not <laughs> like if people for decades could figure out that like when a woman married a man that she was no longer like like June Robert she was now June Smith and you call her Mrs. Smith on, <laughs> yeah. except sometimes on formal things you say Mr. and Mrs. Smith me Robert like yeah. if you can figure out all of that like yeah. social thing yeah you can same thing that's yeah. actually harder wait a minute yeah <laughs> yeah it's just it's really not hard yeah <laughs> um well I guess that is like a cool transition into linguistics because I don't really know about We'll get into that topic and the rest of Callie's story in our next episode. This episode was produced and edited by me, Leah Juarez. The theme song was written and performed by my uncle, Raul Garza. All the music on today's episode can be found on jamendo.com. I'll link everything in the show notes. Follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Chingona Podcast. Thank you for listening. Next time on Chingona. There was a lot of self-discovery when I went to China because, yeah, like I said, like you're thrust in that foreign spotlight and there's always attention on you everywhere you go um, because you look different. Um, and... I mean, navigating that here, I felt more comfortable in a way. I mean, there's definitely parts of the country that I would not go to. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but it's like I kind of grew up already in this space that had words for me and had words for what I am and where I come from. And in China, there's no, there, there's nothing like that. I mean, it's a monoracial country. Um, there are different ethnicities, 
but they don't have the same kind of identity politics that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not really this sense of individualism in Chinese culture. It's, it's all about community. Um, whereas in the West, we tend to be very like, I'm about you know, who, what I'm doing as a person um, and things like that. And it's sort of a simplification, but... Um, and so that was a really big difference to like go somewhere and I'm just foreign. Like I'm just reduced to that. Like I'm mm-hmm. not any of these other things. 